David, how are you? Uh, I have one quick question for you, and I hope you'll have something to offer. If you have the inclination, it'd be great. Um, every time you write about Halliday, I'm very interested and I'm intrigued, but I don't quite follow. So I did, I did find some old papers that I wrote like 10 years ago, and I did write about Halliday. And I found him difficult to understand, but utterly fascinating. And uh, I was surprised that I was the author of those papers because they were semi-coherent, but I forget so much of it. So I, I love when you bring him up in comments, but I can't quite follow. So I was thinking of what is a good Halliday question. And, and here it is. Um, what is the threshold concept about Halliday's work that can help teachers the most? And I'm going to read just a little quote about threshold concepts. This is uh, from the work of Jan Meyer and Ray Land. So a, a threshold concept is a concept that once understood, it changes the way a person thinks about a topic. A threshold concept can be considered as akin to a portal, opening up a new and previously inaccessible way of thinking about something. So like a threshold concept is once you pass once you pass through that window, so to speak, you kind of can't go back and you see with like new eyes. So what is it about Halliday's work, in your opinion, that might be considered a threshold concept? And that once we see it, as teachers specifically, um, it could open up a whole new like realm, a whole new domain for us. Thanks very much. And uh, if you're up for it, why should Andy get to have all the fun? Uh, I and I'm sure others would love to hear your thoughts. Okay, thanks. I'm not going to unask your question, but I'm going to re-ask it. Because uh, instead of the concept of threshold concept, I want to talk about the concept of the magic gateway. I'm not going to argue that this is a threshold concept. I'm going to argue that for children, it's what you're looking for. Um, the magic gateway is Halliday's way of talking about a window that opens in the child's mind. And this happens at various critical points in child development. So for example, when the child first realizes that there is this thing called language that people do use to give each other information that they don't already know, and that it has certain powers that gestures and screaming and crying. That's a magic gateway. And uh, Halliday describes it as being an interpersonal gateway, that it's through this particular function of language that children get into, get into language and decide what it is that people do when they use language and that it's worth doing, it's worth participating actively. But beyond every magic gateway, there's magic. And the magic is that there's another gateway and another gateway and another gateway. And so we find that uh, the, the threshold concept, if you like, the concept that changes the way you think is never that gateway that you've been through. It's the next gateway that you have to go through. So uh, once the child has discovered communication, the child has to move on to other things like making generalizations, making abstractions, bringing into being purely imaginary friends, if you like, or imaginary entities, or uh, imaginary grammatical metaphors, like to grow becomes growth, which isn't really a thing, you know. Growth isn't really a thing. It's a, an imaginary entity, which we make through grammatical means. But that is where scientific concepts come from. 
And that's um, beyond that gateway, there are other gateways still. So the magic gateway is a kind of a particular insight from the point of view of the child, not from the point of view of the person trying to find a, a golden key that will open the whole of linguistics or for that matter, the whole of child psychology. There is no such golden key, but there are magic gateways. But the ma magic gateway I wanna talk about is the concept of metafunction. The reason I wanna talk about that concept is you asked me something about how do you make this meaningful to teachers? Glad you asked that. Halliday himself began as a teacher. Uh, his parents were both teachers and uh, uh, he designed his linguistics for teachers. So um, let me show you what I think would appeal to teachers. Good teachers who believe that every child is potentially above average, tend to locate difficulty not in the child, but in the text, in the text itself. And Halliday is really good at helping us understand just where in the text it might be. It might be. Uh, so take, for example, you're a teacher and you want to be able to ask questions. You need to be able to ask some questions that are really easy to get the fire started in the morning, you know, but they don't last for very long. And some questions that are little meatier, a little more difficult. How do you do that? Well, empirically, what questions, what the questions that start the fire, the kindling questions, if you like, tend to be yes, no questions. They tend to be things like, um, do you ever tell lies? And, and are you a good student? And can you swim? And so on and so forth. Uh, and these are yes, no questions that tend to come up internationally. And then there are WH questions. What do you say? Where were you born? When were you born? How were you born? Why were you? But why is an interesting question. Why were you born? Because the answer to it has many more degrees of freedom. So uh, the highest degrees of freedom I'm going to call tell me about questions, where uh, really with a yes, no question, you've got one degree of freedom. With WH questions, you tend to have a finite number of degrees of freedom. But with a question like tell me about and why, you have an infinite number of degrees of freedom. There's a good reason why Aristotle uh, gives us four different kinds of causality in answer to the question why. Because, you know, how far do you want to take it back when you give a why answer? In theory, it could be infinite. So Halliday helps us explain questions as magic gateways, if you like. Uh, that beyond questions with low degrees of freedom, there are questions with higher degrees of freedom. That's just one system, one magic gateway. There are other Im important ones, like uh, when you're a teacher, you talk to yourself a lot, like I'm doing right now. Uh, you also talk to one or two students. Sometimes you talk to the whole class. Uh, sometimes they talk back. And then finally, sometimes you get the students in groups and sometimes uh, students use inner speech. I'm gonna say that's another axis of difficulty. Uh, and I'm gonna call that axis degree of autonomy in the interaction, degree to which the, the child is independent of the teacher. Uh, that can also be described in linguistic terms because as Vygotsky tells us, uh, the language you use to yourself is not the language you use to the teacher. That is the interpersonal metafunction, knowing what to say to a teacher, knowing what to say to your classmate 
and knowing what to say to yourself. And I'm going to suggest there too is a kind of difficulty that can be linguistically described, that can be located in the text. And then the third degree of difficulty, because I think it's useful to think of difficulty as having three, at least three dimensions, uh, is starts out with here and now, dialectically here, dialectically now, uh, where we can, we actually hardly need language. Uh, language is certainly not constitutive of the context here. You can point to things, you can hold them up, uh, and you can see facial expressions, you can see emotions, you can see into people's uh, feelings, if not into their thoughts. And then you've got past and uh, distal ideas of context, uh, long ago, far away, there and then. That presents a level of difficulty, and uh, in particular for, say, children who have just gotten into school, who are not used to sitting all day, not used to looking and seeing. That is the level of difficulty that they have to deal with. And then there are the hypotheticals, the invisible situations, the never-never lands, the forevers, and where we construct scientific concepts. And that presents, hypotheticals presents grammatically some of the most difficult things. So I'm going to say difficulty is not one thing. It's at least three different things. And um, Halliday's system of metafunctions will help us locate the exact source of the difficulty in a way that simply saying, oh, it's too hard for them or it's too easy for them is not useful. Because when you're a teacher, one of the first things you notice is that um, kids are bored when it's too easy and they're bored when it's too hard. And so uh, you can see that that approach to difficulty without differentiating it, without analyzing it, without considering it in at least three different dimensions is going to reduce teaching to entertainment. And that's um, a very uninteresting way of looking at, looking at the profession. One way to think about these three dimensions in the classroom is to say, it's the who, the how, and the what. That the degree of abstraction in concepts and interests is about the what of what you're talking about. Here and, is it here and now? Is it there and then? Is it never, forever? What is it? The degree of autonomy in the interaction is really talking about who. Are you talking to the teacher? Is the teacher talking to you? Are you talking to a fellow student? Or are you just talking to yourself? So that's the, the who. And then the last one, which is in between them, has to do with how the who and the what get articulated. Which comes first, which comes afterwards, how you organize them within the clause. And that is the how. Now this who, how, and what are the three great metafunctions of the Hallidayan system. The who is the magic gateway that the child goes through. The who is the interpersonal gateway. And that is generally how children first approach language. The what, the what is that magical moment when the child realizes that you can actually tell people stories when they weren't even there. You can share information with people who don't already have the information by encoding it representing it through language. And then there's the third one. The third one is the textual metafunction. It's the shape of the message. How do you organize the discourse? What comes first? What comes second? Not just what comes first and what comes second in a conversation, but how do you organize it in a text? That textual metafunction 
the textual metafunction is the late emerging one. It is the, the last of the three great magic gateways that Halliday has to tell us about. Uh, and those magic gateways are, I guess it's the closest thing to, uh, to what we have is, as a threshold concept. But like I said, I think, I think Halliday would not recognize the concept of a threshold concept, but he certainly would recognize a magic gateway because in order to get to language, we all pass through those magic gateways. I hope this answers at least some of your questions. Let me just analyze one of these magic gateways. And I said that I thought magic gateways, beyond the gateway is another gateway. That's where the magic is. Uh, and the magic gateway I wanna look at is mood, uh, grammatical mood. This, what you have in front of us is, is called a system network. When you take the four fundamental concepts, that the four basic concepts, the four, um, I don't know, threshold concepts, if you like, uh, that that Halliday himself sees as being cornerstones of his theory. You notice that two of them are old ideas. The idea of that, you know, of unit, that there's a rank scale, that um, clauses are made up of groups of words and phrases, and that groups and words and phrases are made up of words, and that each level is made up of the constituents underneath it. That's old hat. That's traditional grammar. Uh, he gives it a Halliday and twist. Uh, but, you know, for example, group phrase, the intermediate uh, unit is not there in traditional grammar, but certainly word and clauses. Structure, nouns, verbs, hey, what could be more traditional? Well, there's this business of the nominal group, and there's the fact that Halliday doesn't really believe in, well, he believes in adjectives, but he believes they're really part of the nominal group. Um, and that, that's a peculiarity of English, because, of course, in Chinese and in Korean, a an adjective is really a verb, it's not a noun at all. And those are old ideas. So the new ideas are going to be things like system and function. And that's why it's called systemic functional linguistics, by the way. So what is a system? Well, a system is a magic gateway. And a system network is a way of showing you all the different gateways that you have to go through, just if you wanna do something simple like ask a question. I want you to imagine that we are driving through a major city, say Seoul or, or Newark, or um, actually I got arrested once in a place near you. Uh, I think it was called East Brunswick, New Jersey. Uh, and so you're driving through East Brunswick, New Jersey, and you come to a, an intersection and you can turn left or right. The child wants to make a clause. He could turn right and make a minor clause. Hey, oh, ah, ooh, yeah, great. And children do a lot of this, by the way. Or the child could use a predicator or the teacher could use a predicator. Look, listen, repeat. All of these are major clauses. They, they're not that much more than a minor clause. They're just a verb, but they have a predicator. Now, once you take that magic gateway into the major clause, it opens up and before you, you see another gateway. That's what's magic about it. So yeah, you could go on going, look, listen, repeat, stand up, sit down, turn around, using imperatives. Or you could add a mood. A mood is a finite and a subject. And then you could do an indicative. The fox meets the crow. 
who did the fox meet? Who met the fox? All of those are indicative sentences. And of course, indicative sentences, once you turn left, the door opens, there's another magic gateway. And that magic gateway is the gateway that allows you to either give information using a declarative or get information using an interrogative. Notice that the imperative is also a magic gateway. It allows you to give goods and services or get goods and services. Uh, but I'm mostly interested in the teacher's view. And for the teacher's view, goods and, it's not about goods and services. We're not salesmen. We're interested in um, giving and getting information, sharing information. So it's the upper, the left-hand turns are what's really interesting for us. So, okay, so you want to do a declarative? Well, then what you do is you put your subject before your finite. And what that means is the fox met the crow or the crow met the fox. Subject before finite. Notice that finite includes things like agreement. You bring the verb down to earth, you make it mortal, you make it limited in number, limited in tense. And all of those things are the element that you do use that is the S on the third person singular. It's also the does, the do, it's the thing that you negate when you want to negate. That's called the finite. Yeah. Uh, and then you can hang a left. Hanging a left is, takes you into the, the interrogatives. And interrogatives in English are tremendously complex. And I think we very often ignore how much simpler other languages are in the way they ask questions. The kids don't. The kids realize very early on that um, intonation, it's all in the music. And so you too tend to get interrogatives that are simply declaratives with an added rise at the end of it. And that rise is not so stupid because we do see that, is this a fox? Is this a crow? All of those things are rising sentences. They're yes, no interrogatives. Now, they're not like declaratives because with a declarative, you've got the subject before the finite. The fox met the crow. The fox meets the crow. With the yes, no interrogative, it's does the fox meet the crow? Or does the crow meet the fox? Is this a fox? Is this a crow? Uh, but the music's right. All the child has to do is to get the words. What about WH? interrogatives. Well, WH interrogatives are really confusing. I mean, if you ask your average native speaker, why do you say, who did the fox meet? Where there's a finite or an explicit finite, but you say, who met the fox? Where did the did go? Most native speakers would have a hard time explaining that. Not Halliday. Halliday understands that the WH word has to come before the finite. Why? Because the WH word is the theme, and that will take us into a whole new set of problems, a whole new set of magic gateways, because that is a different meta function. 